0: Good morning, and welcome to worship at Highlands Presbyterian Church, where even in the midst of the corona pandemic, we are continuing with our mission of glorifying God, growing disciples, and meeting human need. Uh, I'm standing right now, it's it's a little after 10 a.m. on Sunday, I'm standing in the sanctuary, in the pulpit, as as I normally do. I've got my stole on that says hope on it. And my hope is to continue as much as possible to, with uh, with our our typical church service, even though we're not able to communicate everything that we normally would. So by way of a few announcements, um, I'm overjoyed to hear that there's at least one small group that's continuing to meet this morning virtually via video chat. Uh, They're experimenting with that, and that's one way that we're going to continue some of our meetings together, such as this morning. The vision team will continue to meet uh, via Zoom video chat. We'll let you know how that goes. The Bible study this Wednesday also, uh, having been canceled uh, for in-person meetings, doesn't mean that we can't communicate some way online or via the phone. So I'm going to try to work that out for those who are participating in the Bible study. And you can always call me and let me know if you want in on one of those things or if you're having a hard time accessing anything that we're trying to do online. My email is mark, M-A-R-K, at highpress.org. H-I-G-H-P-R-E-S dot O-R-G. And my cell phone number, I would love to hear from you anytime, um, to hear how you're doing, how, how, uh, if you have any prayer requests. Just because we can't meet together on Sunday mornings doesn't mean that we can't continue to support and encourage one another on the phone and to pray for one another throughout the week. So call me anytime. My cell phone number is 708 202 nine eight seven four again I would love to hear from you um, I'm not going to talk a lot about the coronavirus this morning because I have a feeling most of us are a little bit sick of hearing about it and and it is not the only thing going on in our world we're in the midst of Lent right now and uh, as a community together, uh, reflecting on what it means to move towards the cross in discipleship. And so that's going to be the focus of my sermon this morning, which uh, I'm, I'm uh, moving forward with since I had prepared it ahead of time. And uh, it might I hope that it serves as somewhat of a distraction from, from some of the fears or concerns that we're all having. <coughs> we can continue to read and study Scripture together and to talk about it with one another and encourage one another through uh, the gospel that is relevant at all times. Even in times that feel like a crisis and an emergency, we know that, that God is with us and that the calmness of Jesus can help us to carry on. One final thing I wanted to mention is that uh, some folks have suggested videotaping the entire worship service with music and everything, which I would love to do. Unfortunately, the Chicago Presbytery pointed out to us that, the, that there are music copyrights that come into play once we put anything online. And so we're not actually able to, to videotape the music unless it's in the public domain. Uh, otherwise, we get into some some copyright uh, violations there. So we'll continue to work on that um, in, in the coming weeks, see if we can find uh, more that we can do. But in the meantime, the very least I could do is share my sermon with you all. So I encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast, to, to listen to the sermon for the day and then maybe call uh, someone else in the congregation, encourage them to listen to the sermon, and then have a discussion about it. This is a great way to uh, to continue to try to connect around God's Word, which is one of our focuses together as a congregation. So, uh, that that being said, um, I'm going to continue with our, our order of worship, simply with the reading of the Word, and beginning with the um, prayer of invocation which I have before me. Let us pray. Son of God, you spoke words to Jerusalem's leaders that were hard to hear. Give us ears to receive your word of life so that we can follow you faithfully. Amen. The Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 verses 1 to 17. I hope you're able to follow along in the Bible there at home or simply by Googling it. Mark chapter 12, verses 17. The parable of the wicked tenants and the question about paying taxes. Listen now for the words of the Lord. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, "'dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. "'Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. "'When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants "'to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. "'But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. "'And again he sent another slave to them. "'This one they beat over the head and insulted. "'Then he sent another, and that one they killed.' And so it was with many others, some they beat and others they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that Jesus had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him and went away. Then they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality, but you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. And Jesus said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperors. Jesus said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. These are the words of the Lord. May God add a blessing to this holy word. And let us pray. Holy One, we thank you for being with us in our homes, uh, in our families. Wherever we find us in this day, we are grateful that we are not alone. We thank you that these words of Scripture continue to be with us at all times and in all places. And that you continue to speak to us through them. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in this moment whenever we happen to be listening and that you would help us to trust you in all things and to hear your word to us in this time and this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today's topic from the Narrative Lectionary is, I think, a timely one, and a cheerful one. Death and taxes. Good times. What better story to contemplate in the midst of a pandemic that happens during tax season? I love how the Holy Spirit lines things up like that. And I love it when there's an opportunity to also talk about politics from the pulpit, since this tends to make everyone a little bit nervous. No one's going to fall asleep as long as I'm teetering on the edge of endangering our tax-exempt status. These topics have a way of stirring us up. And Jesus didn't shy away from talking about political matters either. His ministry was inherently political in the way that he regularly challenged the status quo and the powers that be. You may remember how Jesus' predecessor, John the Baptist, was killed for criticizing King Herod. And Jesus knew that his turn would eventually come. We recall how at the beginning of Holy Week, Jesus processed into Jerusalem in the form of a king. How he marched into the temple to turn the tables on corrupt public officials. And how it was largely Jesus' growing political power that caused his enemies to conspire against him and to convince the Roman government to have him executed. Jesus was a political problem not just a religious one. There was no separation of church and state in the time of Jesus. And so in following Jesus today, I believe that Christians are called to be involved in politics. Jesus is Lord of all things in heaven and on earth, including the political realm. So the question isn't whether we as Christians should be involved, but rather how. What does it look like today? What does it involve These are the same questions people have been asking of Jesus since the very beginning under any and every form of government. Take this issue of taxes, for instance. I'm going to focus on taxes today since (coughs) I think we can use a break from thinking about coronavirus. Cough, cough. Personally, I don't like paying taxes, I don't know anyone who does. Paying taxes tends to cause me a lot of stress, not because I'm concerned about the money aspect, but I just hate the paperwork involved. I tend to be afraid that I'm going to get something wrong, and then the IRS is going to audit me and make my life miserable. It strikes me as a terrible system. The government requires us to pay a portion of our income, but then says it's our job to figure out how much we owe according to detailed rules that are always changing, And then if we get the wrong amount, they're going to either fine us or send us to jail. The whole thing just makes me crazy. And that's just the federal aspect. I think I've mentioned to many of you before how I was surprised to learn after moving to the Highlands about our local wheel tax. The county wanted to to fine me a a couple hundred dollars for failing to pay, pay my wheel tax within 30 days of moving here. And I was flabbergasted. I said to the government representative on the phone, I said, you know, all you had to do was simply send me a notice saying I owed a wheel tax. I would have paid it immediately, but I didn't even know there was such a thing. And then, you know, that tends to just make me more upset because I think to myself, you know, why should I be paying special taxes if they're just going to fund this kind of uh, incompetence? I figure the county probably spends all the money they get from the wheel tax on the administration it takes to collect the tax itself. It's unbelievable. But then, given the reputation of Cook County and Lyons Township in particular, I then sadly assume that maybe corruption has something to do with it. I picture a bunch of guys in suits sitting in the basement of the Casa de Monte Cristo, puffing on cigars, laughing to themselves, saying, Yeah, a wheel tax. That'll pay for my new wheels. makes paying taxes that much harder to swallow. And so I sometimes wonder if I should resist. I remember, for instance, the last time I lived in Illinois years ago, was, it was during the Bush administration, and I spent a couple years in a Catholic worker community in, in Chicago, which tends to be a hangout for progressive activists and political radicals. There was one older gentleman there named Ed, who had spent time working for the American Friends Service Committee He was always telling people about war tax resistance. We were all upset at the time about how George W. had rushed the nation to war in Iraq over alleged weapons of mass destruction, which later were found not to have existed. (coughs) Billions of dollars were spent, thousands of lives lost, and Ed had charged to show how half of our federal income taxes were funding this injustice. It's probably still true that half of the federal budget is allocated for national defense. And so the American Friends Service Committee recommended resisting this system by refusing to pay those taxes. They called it war tax resistance. I don't know if they still do this. Some people were simply sending letters along with their tax return explaining why they're choosing to include only half of the required amount. I've never heard exact numbers as to who has done this or how many of them were prosecuted by the IRS, but at the time it struck me as a bold protest. Even though back then I didn't make enough money to pay federal taxes, let alone refuse to pay them, it was still fun to talk about doing something to oppose the war. And that was over 15 years ago. In some ways to me it feels even worse paying taxes today. I mean, why should we pay federal taxes when the current president won't even disclose what he pays, if he pays anything, or when our taxes aren't even supporting the CDC enough to pay for adequate coronavirus testing? It's concerning. And I certainly don't want my taxes going to pay for a lot of other things that I would rather our government not be doing. It just, it tends to make me mad. And then I read the story of Jesus. Uh, which tends to make things even more complicated sometimes. First, we have before us the parable of the tenants, which uh, seems unrelated at first. Jesus tells a story about a landowner who builds a vineyard and then goes away and leaves the property in the hands of renters who refuse to pay their rent. It's not meant to be a direct allegory, but some of the parallels, I think, are pretty obvious. Clearly, the owner of this vineyard is God. It's God's world, not our world. And then God entrusts creation to others. That would be us. We're meant to be the stewards of God's world. But then God seems to expect some kind of rent from the stewards. And maybe that's the surprising part. We can sometimes assume that creation is just ours to use for our own ends, To enjoy and maybe even exploit as we see fit. But here Jesus seems to be implying that God expects more than that. God wants a share of the harvest, the first fruits. There's a sense that God expects something from us. And so God sends prophets. Those are the messengers, the slaves in this parable. And we the people are accused of having beaten or killed those prophets of having tried to take control of the world for ourselves. Eventually, I think it's clear that Jesus is talking about himself when he says, "Finally, the landowner sent his only son, thinking surely they will listen to my son." But of course, the wicked tenants don't listen. They just kill the son, too. Jesus says to those wicked says those wicked tenants will be punished. Essentially, for having failed to acknowledge that they owe rent on God's land. Now, when the people listening to this story figure out that Jesus is talking about them, they are angry and offended. How dare he accuse us of being wicked tenants, they say. We'll see how Jesus really feels about paying money to absentee landlords. There's no way Jesus pays taxes to that violent oppressor, Caesar. And as soon as the Romans find out, they'll feed him to the lions. Ha! That's why these people bring up the issue of taxes. They think Jesus is being hypocritical and that they're going to expose him. But then, when Jesus is confronted with this political issue, of course, he shocks them all. Jesus says to them famously, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. As if the money doesn't even matter. As if the corrupt emperor doesn't even matter. Now, to those of us who were following along with Jesus last week, this shouldn't be completely surprising. Clearly, Jesus isn't all that concerned about money, as we tenants sometimes can be. It seems as though Jesus often views having less money as a good thing. <coughs> so maybe he sees paying taxes as a way of lightening our load, of helping that camel to make it through the eye of the needle, so to speak. Only know that, notice that this, this story about taxes goes a step further. When Jesus was talking to that rich man about how to in, inherit eternal life, he had told the rich man to sell his possessions and give the money to the poor. To the poor, specifically. Which makes, makes good sense, helping the poor. But here, in this, in this following story, the money Jesus says to give, taxes, is going to the emperor, who everyone knows is corrupt, violent, oppressive, arguably insane, and certainly not lacking in funds. Jesus tells them to pay taxes even though the taxes are probably funding evil. Now that is shocking. Again, it's almost like Jesus doesn't care about the money at all. Like he doesn't find it problematic or challenging. He's just completely free of concern about money. In spite of the people trying to set him up and get him killed. In spite of the dire situation of his government. It's not just... Money that's at stake. It's people's lives. And yet, Jesus still isn't overly concerned. It's funny how Jesus doesn't freak out about death the way that we so often do. But back to the parable of the tenants. Interestingly, I noticed that Jesus doesn't say that the owner of the vineyard was looking for money from the wicked tenants. Instead, it's a share of the harvest that is owed. Produce, as in grapes, wine, it's a vineyard. And maybe this is effectively the same as money, but it looks to me like Jesus is making an intentional distinction when he later says to these same people, bring me a coin. Whose face is on it? Well, give to the emperor what is the emperor's. Give to God what is God's. And what is it that belongs to God in this story? Land. People. Fruit. The things of creation. Not the money of human beings. It's a whole different set of values, a whole different way of looking at the world that Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples And this new kingdom Jesus is talking about where where creation is valued over money, it has some really radical implications. Because if people are no longer riled up about the priorities of the empire, you know, money, finances, taxes, the stock market, then there's more room for growing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Faithfulness, self control. These are the things that municipal laws can't control. So, what if we focused on those instead? I wonder if we sought first that kingdom and its righteousness, would everything else get worked out as well? What if we just chose not to sweat about our taxes? or even the life and death matters that they sometimes affect? What if we simply trusted the king of the true kingdom to bring forth justice and righteousness and fullness of life, as he has promised to do? I remember mentioning once before a book I read about the happiest and longest lived people in the world, The Blue Zones of Happiness by Dan Buettner. Another one of the interesting and somewhat surprising things in that book about communities that are long-lived and happy is that they, they tend to have a high confidence in their government. There's a high level of public trust, which seems to contribute significantly to the community's health and well-being. <coughs> Clearly, it's better to live in a society where government services are trustworthy. But interestingly, not all of these governments are the same. These are places as different from one another as Costa Rica, Singapore, Denmark. We might not even like the government of those places, but their citizens do. They trust government officials and seem happy to pay taxes to support government programs. Well, how did that happen, I wonder? Did they have trustworthy governments to start with, or did they have citizens that built that trust over time? maybe by being trustworthy and responsible people themselves. I suspect it was probably some combination or maybe a different history in each place. But at the end of the day, doesn't it take everyone to maintain such a system when it works? Citizens who trust leaders and leaders who refuse to abuse the people's trust. You can't simply buy that kind of system with money it has to come from somewhere else. You could say it takes a different kind of harvest like the fruit of the spirit that Jesus is always trying to grow. It's about tenants being good stewards. That's where positive change comes from. I remember talking to a friend and co-worker of mine years ago who confided in me that she didn't vote. It's not convenient, she said, and my vote doesn't make a difference anyway. Those politicians don't care what I have to say. Well, I was flabbergasted. I tried to remain calm, which I think is usually a good strategy. I said to Sylvia, which isn't her real name, I said, But Sylvia, if you don't vote, then those politicians have no reason to listen to you. It's the only power you've got, and the rest of us need you to use it. I didn't tell Sylvia how to vote, but I I did say to her, you know, Jesus is political. And Jesus wants us to be involved as stewards of our democratic system. Thankfully, uh, Sylvia thought this over. Eventually, she came around. She always votes now. I felt very successful. I decided the next time I would try to convince her to run for office. But afterward, afterwards, I realized that I probably needed to hear that admonition more than she did. You know how that happens. How often we're really talking to ourselves. Anyway, I realized that engaging in democracy is a, is kind of it's a form of tax that we are obligated to pay as part of our government system. This is part of good stewardship. It's a tax that Jesus wants us to pay whether we're confident it's making a difference or not. Clearly, the IRS isn't going to track us down if we fail to show up on election day. They don't care about... All they care about is the money. But as followers of Jesus, we're meant to be motivated by something else, by a desire to be good stewards of this land that has been entrusted to us through faithful participation in politics And if we don't contribute towards building a more just and trustworthy system, then who will? God has entrusted this world to us, and God wants a harvest of righteousness from us. If we're not willing to do it, then God seems to be willing to give this land to others. And then we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. You know, another reason I believe Jesus was clear about paying taxes is because he also said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it makes sense that God wants us to be invested in government because God wants us Christians to have some skin in the game so that we can be salt and light in the halls of power. Sometimes it may feel like that's hopeless or futile, but if Jesus could advise paying taxes in the midst of the Roman Empire when they were crucifying dissidents left and right, then I think there's a lot of hope for our American system as well, even in Cook County, even under the Trump administration. Sometimes I feel like I'm not being direct or clear or specific or, I don't know, bold enough. So I'll close with some reflections on our local situation here in the Highlands. (coughs) Just for local interest. And please, feel free to disagree with me here. In fact, I hope some of you will, since this is part of following Jesus too. Disagreeing in love. Iron sharpening iron. Being willing to enter the conversation even when it's risky. Anyway. Ever since moving to the Highlands, I've heard people here complaining about taxes. And sure enough, when I looked into it, I discovered that I'm now paying about three times the taxes that I was in Washington State. And that's living in the Highlands itself, which I know is much less than Western Springs, maybe less than Countryside, too. People are are moving out of Illinois in retirement to escape the tax burden. Then I hear about issues uh, here locally with drainage and permit costs and lack of adequate police coverage. It doesn't seem to add up. So I went to a meeting of the Highland Civic Association the other week where they were talking about sustainability issues. Someone brought up problems with recycling. And one of the people there claimed that a friend of theirs who works for Groot told them in confidence that Groot, our waste management service here, doesn't actually recycle at all. They claim that they just back the recycling truck up to the same garbage pile and it all goes to the same landfill. Well, that's, that's something that I find uh, very troubling. If it's true, it's just not right. It makes me angry. But then what do you do about it? One person in the group said we should, we should look for another waste management company, maybe change the contract but then that might cost more money and our taxes might go up and nobody wants higher taxes. Besides, since the Highlands is unincorporated, we'd have to work with the county to make a change, and that's a pain. They might try to make us incorporate or join countryside or something. Nobody seems to want that either. Well, someone else then said that we should should at least inform the community, let them know that their recycling isn't getting recycled. But then wouldn't that just encourage everyone to throw everything in the garbage and stop thinking about recycling at all? No one wants that either. My goodness, what do we do? Jesus says to us, be good stewards of the land that I have entrusted to you. He also says, pay taxes. But then what do we do when the government we're paying taxes to is contributing to bad stewardship? What do we do? I doubt there's an easy answer to this one. I'm not going to try to give one. But don't you hope that someone will do something? That someone would be willing to to jump into the messiness of this system and attempt to make a change, even though it might be dangerous, even though people might not listen, even though that messenger might get beat up or even taken out. It would have to be someone responsible for an intervention like that. Preferably many people. Some trustworthy people. We need people who are motivated by something other than, than just money. People who are used to giving back. People who can commit to serving the public good rather than just themselves. Where can we find more people like that? How do we form people like that? What would it take to organize them? Friends, lastly, I'll note that we seem to be in the midst of a unique opportunity this season. All of a sudden, institutions all over the place are shut down for the sake of social distancing, (coughs) a lot of events are canceled or postponed. People are either working from home or simply stuck at home without without the things that they normally do. Well, maybe this is an opportunity to find something new or different to do with our time, or to at least evaluate how things have been going under routine circumstances. Maybe it's even an opportunity to give back, to organize. To work our God-given connections, even for the sake of better stewardship. And to engage with God's kingdom in a different way. Normally, we might be too busy for making phone calls, for writing emails, for sending text messages, for sending letters. But I think this month, some people will likely have more time than usual for working on their taxes. So why not aim to do even more than that? God has a way of flipping things on their head, of taking taking even the worst of situations and bringing something good out of them, of taking the stone that was rejected and making it the cornerstone, the beginning of a whole new adventure. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So may we enter this season with confidence following our risen Savior who chose faith over fear in all circumstances, facing conflict and controversy even in the midst of death, pressing on for the kingdom of God even on the way to the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please join me again in prayer. Gracious and holy and loving and everlasting God, we thank you for the ways that you continue to not only comfort us in times of trial, but to challenge us. We thank you for the opportunities you give give us to reflect and to grow through crisis. We pray that You would help us during this difficult time to be listening to You and to be listening to one another, to be studying the Scriptures and to be following Your Son Jesus into the fray. We ask that You would make us bold as Your people, that You would also fill us with the fruit of Your Holy Spirit, that we might be able to return back to You all the the goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. That You would help us to return all these things to You with gratitude and with joy, even in the midst of death. Lord, we lift up to You those we know who are struggling with illness and sickness and grief and fear. We ask that You would deliver us as a community. That You would help us to show forth your kingdom and its righteousness through our faithfulness even in the hardest of times. God, we pray that you would fill us with a sense of your, of your victory over death. That you would help us to be wise and faithful stewards, listening to and obeying the government officials that you have, that you have provided for us even while we speak up and participate in the processes that govern us. We ask that you would help us to work out our salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling. That you would help us not to give up meeting with one another, but that you would help us to meet with one another in new and different ways. That like generations before us, we would persevere as your people in fellowship, in connection, even across distance, even while we are sequestered in our homes. We pray that this would be a time when your people would shine as people of care and comfort and also people of courage and action. Lord, we thank you again for your presence with us wherever we happen to be at the moment, whenever we happen to be. We trust that you are with us and we pray that you would be with those we love.